All right, if you have a Bible, Matthew 22, this is where we are. We're picking it up in like mid, uh, you know, if you remember from last week, it's like John Wick. Jesus is being approached by all these religious Pharisees. They're questioning him. They're, they're ready to try to get him crucified. And the big thing that Jesus kept pointing out in their lives is you've got so much pride and self-salvation systems in place, you couldn't see the Messiah when he came. And so he has been now using parables to show them how, how devastating it is for them and their, their, their eternal salvation is not in what they think, which is their own good performance, but is standing right in front of them, the Messiah, and they're rejecting him. And so lastly, we talked about here's some ways you can know uh, you have these kind of a heart of a Pharisee where you're not leaning into humility, where you're trusting in your own works, not Christ. And so that's what we've been talking about. We're picking up, so we're in the third parable of three. So it's right in the middle of it. Let me read the parable and then we'll pray and then we'll, we'll, uh, we'll walk through it. Okay, so Matthew 22. And again, Jesus spoke to them in parables saying, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son and sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast but they would not come. Again, he sent other servants saying, tell those who are invited, see, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered and everything is ready, come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully and killed them. The king was angry and he sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, the wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go therefore to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. And those servants went out into the roads and they gathered all whom they found, both bad and good. So the wedding hall was filled with guests but when the king came in to look at the guests, he saw there a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, bind him hand and foot and cast him into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth for many are called, but few are chosen. If you were here last week, we prayed and I asked you just to ask the Holy Spirit if there's any blind spots in your life that, that, were, that were keeping you from seeing you, you weren't reliant on Christ in any way. Today, uh, before we get into the passage, I, here's what I want you to pray. So this is what we're gonna, we do this from now on, is you're gonna pray and then I'll pray. But I want you to pray, even if you're not a Christian, this is your first Sunday, maybe just try praying out because you're here and there's a reason you're here. But pray, it seems to me we're looking at a feast, a wedding feast by a king. Um, and I want us to pray, Holy Spirit, will you show me how great your feast is? Like show me this morning how great your feast is and how wonderful the robe, the wedding garment I'm dressed in is. 
and then show me where and how I'm not believing the gospel. Okay, so, so help me to love your feast and the clothes that I'm dressed in at the wedding feast. Help me to treasure that and then show me where I'm not believing the gospel. Because there are times we know the gospel, we know what Christ has done for us, but we don't believe it. We functionally don't live in light of it. We, we have a different wedding garment that we're coming in at times in. And, and although this is a bigger uh, parable to the Pharisees, I believe it's still written as we all do as Christians for all of us now. And this is a huge warning from Jesus in this passage. So, so if we want the spirit to work, we gotta, we gotta ask him to, right? So you ask the Holy Spirit to, to affect your heart through the word of God. Okay, and then I'll pray. Okay, you start. Well, Father, I just, I want to pray that we would sense an urgency, that the, the feast is ready, it's ready now. And we're to come now. That we all have a time in which, as your word says, is, will be our last day. And none of us know when that is, but I wanna pray that in this life we would live it to glorify you to the max. And the weightiness of there's no other gospel, I pray it would impact us with such joy and life that we would just find ourselves worshiping you while we listen. And, and I just, I pray you'd help us believe what's true. And Father, I do know that there are some who think that there's another possible way that they can come into the feast. And I pray the seriousness of that belief would dissipate by your spirit. And I pray for your help, Holy Spirit. I ask for the gift of, of teaching so that the power would not be in any of my prep, but in the power of the Holy Spirit. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay. Parables, in case you're new to the Bible, there are simple stories or analogies that convey one spiritual truth, usually just one main truth. There's a lot you can get from them, but we don't dissect them the way we would like a letter that just is like fact and, and like, there's a story, he's trying to tell a main point. And so he begins with a wedding feast. So let's just, let's all like try to enter into this parable. Um, and and he, see, he begins with a huge wedding feast. It was the most uh, just, you know, anticipated, celebrated events in most of a community, most in your family, uh, in, in the ancient in, in, in Jesus's times, because like today, a wedding is, is big. It's a big deal. People travel, they get flights. You got family coming in, you got planning. You sometimes people plan weddings for like months. It's the same in their day, but just so you know, they did weddings 
the way the U.S. does Thanksgiving, all right? It was massive. It was huge. They had like seven days of partying, of feasting. This, this was huge. Um, it, 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 by the way, was one of these expected, exhilarating moments for a family. For seven days, you'd have people in your home, uh, right? You'd be caring for them, loving them, breakfast, brunches, another party. It was the best. It was only the best. That's, they just, they loved it. And on the seventh day, once everyone was just so excited, so happy, so relaxed, it was the big moment where they brought the hand of the bride and the hand of the groom, and they got to go consummate their marriage, and everyone just got to celebrate with one final big party. It was huge, okay? The, the feasts were epic, okay? How many of you uh, have had, like, you have, maybe you don't have to put your hand up, but you had a pretty extravagant wedding. Like, it was like, you know, it was pretty big. You, you had a good time. People flew in. The reception was incredible. Okay, imagine doing that seven days. Okay, seven days. Now, now this feast in Jesus' parable is, is, the, is the party of all parties. Okay, this is, this is the wedding feast of all wedding feasts. This is the, the son of the king. This is the most honored person in the history of the universe in this moment in time. A wedding for a king's son would have been the wedding of all weddings. This would have lasted historically way more than seven days. Some record even upwards of a month. They, they were huge. There's, there's, there's no moment, listen, in all moments greater than this party. There, there's, there's none. Like there, There's no exciting vacation or travel location that would beat this incredible, unforgettable week or two weeks in the king's palace. This was, you couldn't gain anything in this world. You couldn't have a better memory than being at this feast. It was the feast of all feasts. Hey, how many of you, if you would have got a phone call from like Prince Harry, you know, or like a celebrity you follow to come to their wedding or like, you know, the bachelorette, okay? Oh, what's that? We don't know what that is. Of course you don't. But if, but if they invited you to the royal wedding, you would, you would make that happen. You, your boss would let you go. Your friends would let you go. This is a wedding, right? This is huge. And this, this in this parable is that big. It's that massive. It's this wonderful. And it's ready. It's ready. And we even read in verse four, after the first time the people reject the king, which we'll get to, we see how ready it is. He says this. I have prepared my dinner, my oxen, my fat calves have been slaughtered. <coughs> Everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. So, so here's what Jesus is saying. This is what the kingdom of God is compared to. What he's saying is that the kingdom of God is like having him honoring the son in your heart by the spirit is going to be the greatest most lasting party of your soul. This is gonna be where the life is. This is the weddings above all weddings. He's saying that the kingdom of heaven is like the greatest celebration imaginable thrown by the wealthiest person imaginable for the most honored person imaginable. This is the, the son of the king. That's what the kingdom of heaven is like. This feast, this kingdom with Jesus is all the best that life could ever have or imagine. There's no feast so ready for them. There's nothing they needed to do. 
They don't need to prep. They don't need to prepare. It was all prepped. There was no price. There's no prerequisite. There's no down payment. They're all coming. And what we need to see in this is that the ones who had reservations, they, had, they already had an invitation. They're already connected to the king when the servants go out to the guest list, keep in mind the chefs prepared with their names in mind, with their family count in mind. All of those who are invited don't come. This is a shocking parable, verse three, and, sent, and he sent his servants to all those who were invited to the wedding feast, but they would not come. And this has been Jesus' whole point with these religious Pharisees. Namely, God's chosen people throughout history, when he sent his prophets, when he sent John the Baptist, when he sent his messengers, when the invitation came out, come and feast, they did not come. They weren't ready. There was, there was no repentance. There was no, there was no place of wanting to listen and, and bear fruit. This is Jesus' his, his last two parables of, 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 of the, you know, the vineyard owner and the father going, go work, and he doesn't go work. And this is what took place historically. I mean, you can look this up in real history, in real time. The Bible says that he came to his own, for John 1.11, you can see it on the screen. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. And so Jesus, he's showing the heart of the king after the first time rejecting him, which by the way, he has every right to be infuriated at this point. Like how many of you, have you, have you ever had a wedding where like you invited like an aunt or your sister or a family member and they refused to come? What did that, that brought, sh do you feel like, what? Right, you can like, if your parents, you're just like storming in the kitchen. I can't believe she would do this, right? It's usually a she, just kidding. It's and he, he's don't come too. Um, but but he, he, he could have been, but he doesn't. Jesus wants them to hear this because the whole message of their Old Testament Bible is that God is a God slow to what? Anger, he's full of compassion. So he, he sends another one out. He's like, guys, it's ready. It's ready. Short church, God is a God whose favorite, favorite word is come. He's, he's always like, come, sit at my table, enjoy my provisions, rejoice in my love. He's always inviting. If you're spending any time right now, and maybe in a Bible reading plan where you're in the Old Testament or any of the kings, you just, you know it's if they would just come, but they don't. Verse four, tell those who are invited, see, I prepared my dinner, my oxen, my fat calves have been slaughtered. Everything's ready. Come to the wedding feast. What's their response? Do they reconsider? Remember last week's parable, if you were here, Jesus even says to the chief elders, you didn't repent even when you saw the prostitutes and the tax collectors coming in. You, you had an opportunity. You saw life change. You saw miracles. You saw the, 
the work of God, the kingdom breaking in, and you still didn't come. So maybe they would consider after having a time to think about it in this parable we read, but they, verse five, but they paid no attention and went off, one to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. You can see this is not just a missed opportunity or, you know, missed joy. This is an insult. This would, this would heap shame on the king and worse on his son. One group we read says they paid no attention. They ignored it. They made very little of it. This is a word, it means to give little care. Such a massive feast, the greatest honor, don't care. Don't care. I got a lot going on in my life. It says one just, you know, I got things that are a little more valuable. I got a farm I got to take care of. I got a business. I got to really focus on my business this year. I got, I, thanks for the invitation, not right now. But you're invited. Like you have a name. There's a spot, probably written in like gold. It's right there. This is the king. We need to feel just how shocking this is in this parable. In Jesus' story to them, and this is the very root of sin, I came across this list, and I want to read it slow. Sin, it'll be on the screen. Sin is the glory of God not honored. Sin is the holiness of God not reverenced. The greatness of God not admired. The power of God not praised. The truth of God not sought. The wisdom of God not esteemed. The beauty of God not treasured. The goodness of God not savored. The faithfulness of God not trusted. The promises of God not believed. The commandments of God not obeyed. The justice of God not respected. The wrath of God not feared. The grace of God not cherished. The presence of God not prized. The person of God not loved. That's the root of all sin. To put it in a more modern language, it's to look at God and all God is and go, meh. It's the greatest sin in the universe. And it's what boils up that comes out that we would call, oh, that's a sin, like adultery, Adultery begins in that list. So you gotta, you gotta remember, like this is a king who's like relationally connected to those invited. Like the king is reigning. The king has been so good. The king has been so beautiful. The king is ready to give everything. The king is ready to give all away for the honoring of his son. To celebrate the wonders of his son. The party we were made to make much of him in. But instead, they just acted as their own redeemers. They had too much going on. And then verse six gets even more shocking than that. While the rest, so some just got, I don't care. The rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. 
I'd encourage you to listen to last week's message because I can't go in on this, but we focused on how they did that throughout Israel's history. And they're gonna do that to Jesus in about 48 hours. And so what will the king, which has been Jesus' question to them, Remember Jesus' question to them? It's been, hey, what, what's the father gonna do? What's the owner of the vineyard gonna do? Look at verse seven. The king was, what's our word? Oh, it's not up there. I'll tell you. <laughs> angry. The king was angry. This is a word that means furious. Then he sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Most commentators, if not all the commentators, point to real history where, where in AD 70, Rome under Titus literally destroyed Jerusalem and the temple where there was not even one stone left in the temple. He's rightly angry. He's justly angry. He loves his son. The party is ready. And this is where it gets even more shocking. Okay, turn to your neighbor and say, this is more shocking. This is more shocking. Yeah. What is it? This is crazy. This wouldn't have been done. This is astounding. It's exciting. It's scandalous. Look at what happens next, okay? This might be on the screen. It is. Then he said to his servants, the wedding feast is, what's our word? Ready. This is really important. It's ready. This is what Jesus wants to make clear to them and to us. It's ready. So what does he do? But those who are invited were not worthy. Go therefore to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. Can you imagine that moment? You're coming and you're coming, right? It must feel like, you know, like when Oprah would give out cars, you know, you get a car, you get, or like Ellen now. It would just be like, you're coming in. All, everyone. The main roads would have been the lowest class. This is everyone, every race, every ethnic group, every broken, every non-religious religious. At one point, it looked like you had to be a person of a certain standing in order to come to the wedding feast, but now anybody can come. Everyone can come. It's absolutely free, right? You see echoes of the Great Commission. You, you, you like go, therefore, make disciples of all nations. The gospel is for all People, these rejected it. Now it's going for everyone. And it doesn't matter how your merit is. It doesn't matter how your past is. Whether you're good or bad, you get to come into the wedding feast. It's so exciting. By the way, that's you. That's us in this room. It's very cool. Oh, very cool. That's what old, you know, it's like what my mom always says. Oh, very cool. Okay. But notice something here, and this is where the parable gets a little strange. Um, and it's key to understand what happens next. The guests seem to go immediately into the, the feast. It's ready, that's the emphasis. There's no time to go to your home and find or buy a wedding garment. Moreover, they wouldn't be able to afford it, but they come in. And then we have a weird scene of the king coming out, because very excited to see who who the servants brought in and he notices someone isn't dressed right. So what's happening? What's going on in this parable? Well, it seems to be that in coming right away, the king at a cost to himself has provided what they need. They're all clothed in the wedding garment, except for this one. He's clothed them right away, the king. 
And this is key to Jesus' point. You come into the feast of the Son not by being fit, but by admitting you're not fit and letting the Lord clothe you. The way you come into the feast is you come to the door, you were never really invited in the beginning, you're not worthy, but he's provided a garment for you. And you come in wearing his clothes and his clothes alone. The resounding voice is there's no other gospel. You come in in the gown of the gospel There's no other clothes than the one the king dresses you in. And throughout the Bible, there's a picture throughout the scriptures of a white robe that we as Christians wear. When we become a Christian, the Bible says that that your sins go on Jesus and Jesus takes the penalty for your sin and in dying for it, all your sins are paid. And in that moment, not only are you forgiven and accepted because that penalty is paid, but the Bible says Jesus, his life, his perfect life is merited to you where you are now clothed in Jesus Christ. The greatest description of a Christian is not the word Christian in the Bible. Do you know what it is? It's this, in Christ, in Christ. A Christian is someone who's in the robe of Christ, whose righteousness before the Father is Christ. That's a Christian. So if you're like, what's a Christian? Now you know. A Christian is someone who's in Christ, okay? Amen, we're in Christ. That's really exciting. We should thank Jesus right now. Let's clap. Woo, this is good. Yes, you're in Christ. This is so good. So exciting. And check this out, John in an apocalyptic moment where an angel comes and takes him behind the veil to see the future of where you're gonna be, this is you in, verse seven, in, in, in Revelation 7. This is, you're actually in the Bible. This is really cool. You can tell your kids, I made it, okay? I'm in Revelation 7. You actually can, okay? After this, I looked and behold a great multitude. That's you. No one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, woo, with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And this, Jesus is saying, if you can remember now, back to this parable, to a group of people who say the way into the kingdom is earned. I'm guaranteed because I have lineage, because I'm a Jew. And this parable is going, not so. But rather, I'm inviting, look right at me. I'm inviting everyone on the basis of grace and grace alone. That's how you come in. You don't earn your place in the kingdom. This is the gospel. There's no other gospel. Jesus, in his death for our sin, paid the debt in full, took the judgment for sin, procured salvation. And when you have Jesus, you're clothed in Jesus so that as we read earlier, when, Jesus, when God looks at you, he doesn't see you, he sees the clothes of Jesus. That's the gospel. There's no other gospel. Dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne. On Christ, the solid rock, I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. Do you know the gospel? Could you repeat that in an hour? Get to know that really, really well because there's no other robe. 
Do you know what the guests are not enthralled and occupied with for those seven days? You know what they're not saying? They're not saying, how awesome are we? We are so cool. No, no, they're not saying that. No one's saying, look what I did that was great. They're not. They're consumed for seven days with how amazing is he? Like, I just can't believe it. Like, he is so good. He's so wonderful. He's so gracious. I was reading one uh, commentator who grew up in the Eastern uh, parts of the world, and he said in a shame and honor culture, this would have been really hard for them. Meaning, if they were in the party, they would be constantly thinking, like, this can't be real. I'm probably gonna get kicked out. They'd be so afraid because they didn't deserve it and they knew it. I think so many of us are there and we gotta believe the gospel. Let me say this, do you know how happier and better human beings you would be, I would be, we would be, if we understood that ultimately everything is about God and not us? We would be so much happier. This is such great news. But Jesus in the middle of this warns us as he continues, to show us of what happens when you come in not wearing the wedding garment of the king. So look at verse 11. We might have it. I forget what I gave you. Good, we got it. But when the king came in to look at the guests, and of course he would. He'd be like, this is, who, who's coming in to enjoy this feast? He saw there a man who had no wedding garment, and he said to him, friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, bind him hand and foot and cast him into the outer darkness. In the place there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth for many are called, but few are chosen. So, so follow me here. Here's a man who comes in not clothed in the wedding garment that the kings provided which means in this man's mind, he must have thought his best was good enough. When the servant said, here you go, sir, he must have said, I don't need that. He's refused the garment. He's refused to dress in the royalty of the provision of the king, which is what you need to stand in front of and honor the son. Are you with me on this? He's either thinking it doesn't matter how you come in or I'm comfortable in my own garment. So many think that. This should, this should be, uh, we should feel in our, in our souls this pounding and names should come to, be, come to mind who go, I, I know names who think that. Who think it doesn't matter how you come in. I'm comfortable in my own garment. And Jesus says, if you do that, you'll be thrown into the outer darkness. God will do the same to anyone who relies on, to borrow from John Stott, his own fancied goodness to gain entry into the kingdom. This, this is, you can hear Paul in his letter to the Galatian church. I'm gonna read it to you. It says, grace to you and peace from the God from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. I am astonished 
that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and wanna distort the gospel of Jesus Christ. But even if we, are, we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we've said before, so now I say again, if anyone's preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. There's no other gospel. It's not Jesus plus. It's not Jesus and other ways. It's not being good or it's, it's not even, yes, Jesus, but there's no change. I don't love him. I don't pursue him. There's no other gospel. It's only repentance from sin and turning to Christ by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. That's the gospel. And if you don't, Jesus says you will be bound and you'll be thrown into outer darkness into the farthest part in hell where the light does not shine. He says there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. The original language there has an indefinite article before weeping and gnashing, which means it will be the weeping. The weeping of all weepings. There's no weeping greater than this weeping. There's no weeping compared to the weeping. And then he concludes, for many are called, but few are chosen. I almost wish he didn't throw that last line in there. Because you, you expect to read that in like a systematic theology book. But you have to know this comes right from the mouth of Jesus Christ. Jesus says, many will hear, but few will come. He says, hearing God's call and knowing of his grace and knowing of his wedding garment is not the same as responding or putting it on. Not all the called will be finally chosen. Let me ask you, do you believe you are what you are by sheer grace and nothing else? Or do you believe there was an inchness of smarter, more objective in your free will. There was something in you other than, different than your brother or your roommate who heard the same message that you were like, you're not getting this, I'm getting this. The biblical teaching of election is if you believe, it's ultimately because God came to you and open your heart by the Holy Spirit. He came into the streets of your soul and he dressed you. If you had 100,000 opportunities to choose between God as Savior and yourself as Savior, you'd always choose yourself. If it were not for 
the sustaining grace at work, you would not believe, you would not continue. I know if it wasn't for the grace of God within me, I would make a shipwreck of my faith. Put another way, left to ourselves in our own robes, we would not remain standing in the grace of God. Okay, this is a different sermon, but the truth in this passage is Jesus did not die for everyone who was called. He died exclusively for those who were chosen. John 1, 12, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, they chose that. There's human responsibility and there's divine sovereignty. He gave the right to become children of God. Verse 13, who were born, made new spiritually, not of blood, not lineage, you're not getting to heaven because your parents were Christians, or because you grew up in the Jewish worldview or the Christian home, nor of the blood, nor of the will of the flesh. You're choosing to break through with the best choice. I chose it, yes. Nor of the will of man, others making you. Right, just come to youth group. Go, go, get baptized. You should do, you should, okay, I guess I'm saved. No. How? But of God. Just be thankful this morning. Like worship right now. Just go, oh, wow. Like worship for the wedding garment. Let's, let's choose no other gospel. Salvation is a finished work by God given to us as a gift. It's not a process by you kind of slowly working it out so that God will listen to you and love you and then go, you know what? You kind of did good enough, saved. No. But we believe that functionally. Listen, I want to plead with some of you to come. If you haven't yet, maybe you're feeling this tug. Maybe you're feeling this, this spiritual pull. Praise God, listen to that. If that's happening, listen to that. Here's why. You're incapable of coming when you want. The urgency of this parable is the meal's ready now, right? If someone had a meal for you and you said, you know what, I'll come and eat that in a month. Guess what? It's not gonna be there for you in a month. That meal, you can only come to the banquet when it's being thrown. You can't just say, I think, you know, I'll come to the banquet next month, it'll be there. For someone to say, I would like to have God, but I'm not sure I want to have God right now. I'll come later. What if you won't want to come later? The one thing you're experiencing right now, if, if he's doing this in your soul, is mercy. Come, believe, get baptized. So here's how I want to close. I want to describe for you this wedding garment in a few verses. So band, you can come on up. Last week I had you break up into groups of two or three to pray for each other. This morning, I'm just gonna have us stay where we are and we're gonna pray just in our own seats to the Father by the Spirit. And as 
as Caleb plays the most beautiful sounds, um, I want you to look at these verses. And as you look at them, and as you look at the wedding garment that you've been given, ask God to help you believe it. You are clothed. Your, your clothingness is not contingent on your feelings or your emotions or on your moral performance this week. Your clothedness was determined before the foundation of the world. So you stand on that big one. But in this present moment, I believe the Holy Spirit wants to show you who you are and what you have. And if you don't believe one of these, that's where I want you to pray. Holy Spirit, help me to believe this is what I'm wearing. Okay, so you guys can play and I'm gonna read. <clears throat> In the wedding garment of the king, you are God's child. John 1:12. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. In the wedding garment of the king, you're a friend of Jesus Christ. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I've called you friends. In the wedding garment, you're a friend of Jesus. You can approach Jesus as a friend. For all that I've heard from my father, I've made known to you. Third, in the wedding garment of the king, you're chosen and forgiven forever. Colossians 1 says, he has delivered us fully, delivered, past tense, from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption the forgiveness of sins. Sure, believing and living and trusting in these garments, as you praise the son and sit at the table and feast on him is evidence you're elect. The way you, the way you know is you stay in these garments. You rejoice at the feast. This is what you're feasting on. You don't look at you, you look at him. That's how you know. You love the son, the Holy Spirit showing you his performance is your trust. His life is your hope. His position is yours. Which leads me to the fourth, in the wedding garment of the king, you're complete in Christ. For in him, that's Jesus, whole, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. This is a crazy verse. And you have been filled in him. That's the Holy Spirit. You have the full deity of the Godhead who spoke Grouse Mountain in your body. In the wedding garment of the king, you are free from condemnation. Romans 8, 1 says, there is therefore now no condemnation. I want to read you one more. 
it won't be up there, but verse 32 says, who shall bring, listen, look right at me. Think about Christ right now. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? Elect. It's God who justifies. Who is to condemn? You can't condemn the elect. Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who was at the right hand of God, who's interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger and sword? He goes on in verse 37. No, in all these things, you are more than conquerors. Through who? Through Christ who loved us. Verse 38, for I'm sure you can be sure. For I'm sure... Tell your soul that. Soul, you can be sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come. Some people will tell you the lie. Well, you know, you might not be saved in a few years if you really screw things up. Nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation who will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's what you wear. That's what you're wearing. That's really nice clothes. In the wedding garment of the king, you are established, anointed, and sealed. 2 Corinthians 1.21 says, and it is God who establishes us with Christ. And li listen, there's a bad theology that says there's some who have the anointing. That's not biblical. Spiritual gifts can come in different degrees. Anointing is for everyone who has the Holy Spirit. And it is God who established us with you in Christ and has anointed us, and who has also put a seal on us. That's what, you, that's what you're wearing. You're wearing a big seal and has given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. In the wedding garment of the king, you can be confident that God will complete a good work in you. That's an exciting piece of clothes. You're like, what? He is, he is going to, whatever he began, he's gonna complete it. In the wedding garment, last one, of the king, you are a citizen right now. By the way, the Bible says you're an ambassador right now because your citizenship is somewhere else. That's like what you're wearing. You already have citizenship in heaven. You're just on here doing ambassador stuff. Like that's true. That's not a feel good sentence. God's written that on the clothes you wear. Philippians 3.20, but our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. That's amazing, okay? We get to worship this God because look at what his son did. 